everyone. Welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite weekly podcast from Gentle Parents Unite Becoming Gentle with Sujai Johnston, Vivek Patel, and me, Margie Zeus. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or hot cocoa, whatever you love. Make sure you have a notebook and a pencil so you can jot down your thoughts and questions. Sit back and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite podcast. I'm really excited for today's episode because we have a special guest. Today on our show, we have Bridget Miller, the author of the new book, What Your Children Need You to Know. And Sujai, of course, Sujai Johnson, who's the founder of Gentle Parents Unite, which is our big Facebook group, um, is with us as well. And Sujai, I love you. I'm so happy that you're here with us. How are you today? I am doing quite well. Hi, Vivek. And I have read this book, and uh, and I, I love it. It's there's so much really valuable, powerful information in it. So much information about how to really connect with your kids and to really understand their their needs and the way their their minds work and their hearts work. And having this information can can just like empower you so much to be able to connect with them, to be able to work with them in a way that they feel um, heard and seen. And uh, it's just so beautiful. And I I'm very uh, grateful that she's a guest on our show. Welcome to the show, Bridget. Hi, Vivek. Hi, Sajai, and all the listeners. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Wonderful. Thank you. Hi, Bridget. I'm so glad you're here with us today. Thank you for having me. So, Bridget, um, I am very excited about uh, the release of your book, and I'd just like to hear a little bit about your story, how you came to the idea of gentle, conscious parenting, and how that's how that's been in your life, and maybe a little you can share a little bit about the process of uh, this book coming out of you. I found my way to doing what I do, um, starting out as a teacher. I spent over ten years in the preschool classroom, and um, also moving into kindergarten. And it was during that time that I began to see that there was so much unfolding in front of me in terms of development of little children that just fascinated me. Um, it was um, during that time that I wanted to understand them better and I went to university to study what we call remedial therapy which is also known as special education and after that I went into psychology and after I'd walked that path I was in the position to start my own family and that's when the real learning began. I quickly learned that being with 28 or 23 of everybody else's children was very different than living with two of my own. And it was in the process of trying to make sense of them and myself as a parent that I found myself naturally being drawn towards more gentle, peaceful ways of being. Mm. And that, that's really what's led me to writing this book. Hmm. Um. My hope in, in putting it down in, in a book is that it's going to be something that parents can turn to because it reminds them of how much they already know. I think as parents, we tend to underestimate our own ability to get to know and understand our own children. 
and very often we're tempted to look outside of ourselves for answers but when we slow down and we turn inwards we start making much more sense of what we're seeing on the outside and we find our way through with them yeah that's really true i i resonate with that a lot i think uh i think a lot of the times um from childhood we're cut off from our inner wisdom and uh, as parents we have the opportunity to reawaken that certainly our kids help us reawaken that don't they oh goodness i think i mean i speak for myself but i often say that the children who stir us up are the ones here to wake us up mm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah and i think it's it's because of the love that we have for our children that we're willing to show up and figure out what it is that we need to learn uh, I love that saying so much. Um, it was, in fact, the struggles of my second child that definitely woke me up and put me on the path of being a gentle parent. And I think back on that often and think about how, um, what a gift it is that I was able to see his struggles instead of his behavior. I think, Sujai, that is exactly it. I think behavior, when we look at it and remind ourselves that it's actually communication, it, it, it alleviates some of the fear that we have where we tend to want to just fix things. Um, mm -hmm. I often say that all behavior is communication and it's up to us to learn to read it. Because when we understand more about where it's coming from, we can settle in and know that we don't have to fix it we can just be with it. And then because of the way that we respond to our children, the very things that we were worried about begin to right themselves. Yeah, that's so true. I, I think a lot of the time that fix it mentality comes from, uh, you know, quite a bit of a fear of how things are going to like go in the future. If my kid's disrespectful to me now and I don't fix it then they're going to end up being disrespectful as teenagers and disrespectful as adults and they're not going to get along in society and then we we like catastrophize their whole lives based on the way the three-year-old is talking to us and it can cause people to really panic and well that's exactly what a caring parent does you know we try and predict the outcome because we want to be responsible for dealing with the situation now so as to avert any possibility of upset or disaster further down the line um and it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's coming from that place of fear that we act in ways that don't necessarily align with our heart. And I think for me, that's, that's really the message that hopefully comes through in my book is that when we turn inwards and we just focus on how behavior that we're seeing is making us feel, we start finding our direction. Hmm. Yes. And I, I talk about that a lot. I feel like um, a lot of our inability to trust our inner voice comes from being told clearly <laughs> from very young ages that um, our feelings, which are our guides and our receptors and kind of like our little radar to our inner voice are unacceptable. They're burdensome. They are annoying. They are... Um, embarrassing and uncomfortable in all of these different ways. So we learn to ignore our uncomfortable feelings until they're 
literally screaming at us in ways that they're ready to burst out of our body inappropriately. And if we can learn to trust our inner voice and trust those feelings and give them a little bit of exploration, um, like our beloved Margie loves to say, feelings are not facts. <laughs> and I very much agree feelings are not facts, but what they are is they're a receptor and they each and every one of them, whether it's a feeling that we're feeling or a feeling that one of our loved ones is feeling, they warrant a little bit of exploration and getting to know and understand exactly what it is that they're trying to tell us. Because um, as a guide, they could certainly lead us astray if we're not paying enough attention. Um, and we could miss what they're trying to tell us if we're not paying enough attention. So just opening up to what exactly that feeling, why it's present in our lives is so key to being able to um, maintain this parenting path and listen to that inner voice that you're talking about. Very much so. Um, I think another place that we always need to remind ourselves is to start from that place of understanding development very often the things that we're battling against in our children are things that are very natural and very normal. You know, behaviors that we're seeing in our young children, they're being exactly the way that they're supposed to be. It's our misunderstanding their behavior that's leading us astray because we're trying to change who they are in order to sort of fit them into what we think they need to be or how society expects them to be. And that's really where the what we need to know about them comes in because our understanding will inform our practice when we see them differently we begin to respond to them differently i really love that saying our understanding uh, what did you say our understanding informs our practice yes very much i love that and, and that's I love for that me so what, much. what look with love is it's mm. it's it's coming at it from this perspective of our children are not out to get us. Mm-hmm. You know, they're giving us an opportunity to get them. And in so doing, we begin to get ourselves. Yeah. So we're all in it together with the purpose of growing up together. Yeah, for sure. I often say that, uh, that we can, we, we have the opportunity to form a relationship of learning partners with our kids, lifelong learning partners. Absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, very often, you know, when I, I give a, a presentation or a workshop or and I, you know, introduce myself and share a little bit about where I've come from, what I'm up to, and I ask parents mm. what they're there for. And very typically, the answer is, I, I want to, you know, be a better parent, or I want to understand my child or mm. it comes from that place. And then when we get to the end of what we've shared, there's a complete shift in their way of being because they now see things differently. And very often they say, everything you've shared is not so much about my child, it's about me. Right. And that's when the true shift happens because they see themselves as like their children rather than mm. their children being different to them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I remember, uh, I remember years and years ago, the very first... Um, parenting person that I ever saw that that I thought like me, and I remember it was Alfie Kahn, mm-hmm. and I remember I remember when I saw a video of his on YouTube. Somebody somebody I always used to talk about what I'm doing and 
I didn't know anybody else out there was doing it back like 20 years ago, right? My kid's 23. So <laughs> 20 years ago, I didn't know there was anyone else um, that wasn't punishing their kids and was talking to them and was honoring their consent and autonomy and was working with them as in a partnership. And somebody said, hey, Vivek, there's this guy out there that's talk just like you. You should check him out. <laughs> and I remember one of the first things that I saw was he was giving a, a lecture and he said, and he said, um, tell me all the things, and he just asked the audience, tell me all the things that you think make a successful person, someone who's successful in life, in relationships, in career, and in their relationship with themselves. And people put things like risk-taking and uh, collaboration and deep listening and uh, communication and, and believing in self and self-confidence and not giving into peer pressure and all these, all these really powerful, beautiful things. And then they made a list of the traditional parenting priorities, and we could see how, how diverse those things were. Obedience, manners, respect, getting your homework done, you know, all these kind of things. And he, he, he said, look at these two lists and how different they are, you know. And, uh, and he said, the one list is about controlling your kids, and the other list is about having a relationship with them, which means starting with having a relationship with yourself. And I was like, that is exactly it. Oh, that is so very well said. That's exactly it. I mean, parents are often asking, what should I do? When right. really the question we need to be shifting is, how can I be more present with our children or my child? It's, it's not about what we need to do. I mean, they're the practicalities mm. for sure. Mm. But when we see them differently, we show up in a different way. And then it's, it's through relationship that we're able to to guide them. Ah, uh, that is so beautiful. And, you know, um, that quote there, I, I want to write it down. When we see them differently, we're able to show up in a different way. And that's truly at the core beyond, behind all of the shifts that we make is that we begin to see our children differently and understand them on a deeper level. And we begin to show up differently. And through that, our lives flow so much smoother. Um, we begin coexisting with somebody opposed to um, sitting in that position of power where we're feeling like if we don't micromanage every moment, then some terrible thing will fall through the cracks and our children will grow up with horrible lives and it will all be our fault. <laughs> Oh, yes. I think that's at the back of everybody's mind. It's if I get this wrong, what's going to become of them and of the world? Uh-huh. Yes. And it's a very heavy burden that we carry as parents when when we allow ourselves to subscribe to that um, train of thought and that thinking. Yes, definitely that. I often refer to it as it being a very heavy backpack. Um. But we do, we have this natural sense of responsibility of wanting to do the very best that we can. And with that, it can lead us astray to trying all sorts of things in order to meet an outcome that we think we need to be measuring up to. And it's backing off and being willing and courageous enough to trust that things have a natural way of working out, but we do have the responsibility of interacting with our children in a way that will lead and guide them you know there is there is a perception of a gentle parent is one who doesn't do anything 
or just <laughs> right. it all happen. <laughs> and that's not it at all. It's finding the balance of being the one who says no when a no is needed and then being the one who will comfort a child in their upset because we've been the one who said no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I talk about three relationships that um, replace the relationship of the authoritative parent. And, uh, and the three relationships I, I talk about are the relationship of model, guide, and friend. And it's the combination of being a model for how we, how we walk in the world, how we treat ourselves, how we treat our kids, and how we interact with others. And guide, which is, you know, sharing the wisdom and experience and insight and like the co-learning, learning partner relationship. And the friend takes away the hierarchy and allows, you know, allows a mutuality. Because I always thought my kid had as much to teach me as, if not more, than I ever had to, to, to teach her. And we became really... Um, each other's guides uh, throughout our lives. And I'm like that with the friends that I really value that are really close to me. We are each other's guides and we are each other's models and we are each other's friends and we have this relationship. So it's really just applying that to the developmental age of our our, our kids. Um, and it's amazing how how wonderful uh, it works out. And I think, you know, in, in this time um, that we're going through right now, uh, where the coronavirus is kind of sweeping the world and everyone is, most everyone is at home and spending more, probably more time with their kids than, than they have before. This idea of forming the deep trusting relationship with them is probably more important than it ever has been, at least for, uh, for so many families. I mean, me, I've, I've lived that way with my kid all along. Fortunately, I've been a stay-at-home dad and We've just always been together. Even when she went to school, I was there. I volunteered every. I volunteered almost every day from grade kindergarten to grade eight. I was always there. Uh, so I have lots of experience in school and working with kids. But if it's not your normal, you know, your no- normal thing to be with them all the time, it it can create a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I mention this because, um, you know, Bridget, in in reading your, hold on, I got to clear my throat one sec. <clears> throat> You know, Bridget, in, in reading your book, there's so much in it that stood out for me that can really help parents to understand their kids and connect with their kids. And if it's okay with you, I want to just share uh, a, a, a few quotes and then we, uh, from it, and then we can um, discuss them. And maybe you can share some, some deeper uh, insight around them. Um, one of them that, that I really liked was chapter 14. So your book is organized in... in, in uh, in a whole bunch of chapters, but they're quite short chapters, very digestible, and each one ends with a suggestion of what you can do and an and a affirmation that you can keep with you throughout the day, which I find a beautiful way to, uh, so you don't have to like absorb all of it all at once. You can read a chapter one day, even every couple of days, and just absorb it and work with that one chapter and see how it plays out, see what you can learn by, by experimenting with it, and then you can move on to the next one. And I think that's, it's such a well laid out um, book so helpful for parents. Well, and chapter fourteen. Sorry, oh, no. I, I I was just going to say, hearing that you've received it in that way makes my heart so happy because that's exactly how it was intended. Um, oh, wonderful! Parents don't necessarily have the time to sit and read a book cover to cover, but they for sure they need little hits of inspiration to keep them on their path of what they're wanting to do or who they want to become as parents and. That's exactly the hope that I have, you know, that they'll find two or three minutes to read a page or two and then just sit with that and then it'll, yeah. it'll inform their practice the next time that similar situation pops up for them. 
For sure. Yeah, and you know, like um, a number of the parents that I uh, I uh, help support will take some of my sayings and put them on a whiteboard or make signs. So I would say, um, you know, get Bridget's book and take the affirmations and make a put it on your whiteboard, put it on your fridge, and and that way every time you pass it, it'll remind you of that that that's what you're like focusing on. <laughs> Number fourteen is please don't resist my tears, which I love that title. Um, seldom, so I'm going to read. Seldom does a day go by when young children don't shed any tears. They seem to have tears at the ready for all occasions. They cry when they are frustrated, disappointed, tired, unwell, scared, or sad. Tears are meant to get our attention and elicit a caregiving response from us. However, if, ch- if children's tears make us feel uncomfortable or inadequate, the very opposite may occur. And any time we shame, ignore, or punish a young child for crying, we're circumventing nature's brilliant process of brain adaption. And this really touched me, you know, because um, I know that uh, tears were not uh, uh, widely accepted uh, for me when I was a child, especially being a boy. I was often told not to cry and being a sissy and be be like a man. And I know my my my, my sweet mother, who's just turned 77 and is a powerful person and we actually interviewed her um in our in our second season of this podcast because she does workshops and self-empowerment workshops in prisons she's not now of course because we can't go in there um but she's been doing that for eight years and when she was young and if she started to cry her uh her mother would punish her and then if she didn't stop crying her mother would say i'm going to give you something to cry about that classic Mm -hmm. line you know and she actually lived that way, so she's like has spent a, a lifetime kind of working through all of that and kind of reclaiming her relationship to her feelings and her her emotions. But but yeah, accepting tears is, is so important. Um, can you share a little bit about um, about your understanding of that with us, Bridget? Well, I think the place to start is to know that tears are actually a sign of emotional health, mm. of good emotional health. Aha. Oh, yeah, I feel that. And when you can see tears as that, you naturally become more able to invite them into your presence. Anytime a child or anyone has their tears with you, they're at their most vulnerable. And that Mm. is a testament to the relationship that they have with you. If someone feels safe or taken care of in your presence, their tears will naturally flow more easily. And it becomes an invitation to, in this case, the parent to help their child to process those big feelings that the tears are giving us an indication that the child is having them. Um, By the time the tears flow, the child has already experienced the emotional feeling around what the tears are indicating. And that becomes our opportunity to be there for them, to comfort them through them. Tears are supposed to draw us in. When we see tears, we're supposed to run towards the one having tears, not run the other way. And (laughs) in young children, that can be really hard because as I've said, they they cry about just about everything. But they're part of learning and growing. Tears are an indication that there is an adaption taking place in the brain, which is exactly what we want to happen. When- What does that mean by, uh, what does that mean by adaption? Well, adaption means that the child is adjusting to what they can't have or can't do, whatever it is that's not working for them. 
It's mm. an indication that the emotional system is getting it, that this, whatever it is that they're, they're pushing up against is futile. It's not going to work. So if mommy or daddy has said no, the word no, it comes with a feeling. It's a discomfort that I have to accept this no, and that doesn't feel good. So a child who's able to feel the sadness in not getting their way is going to be moved to have their tears. And that's an indication to us as parents that learning is taking place. But if we're not comfortable with their tears because of the feelings that it evokes inside of us, we can be moved to try and shut down their tears. And when we do that, what happens is we block the opportunity for them to grow through their tears. Right. So tears really are there to drain their frustration. If they're not having their tears, we're going to see children who are more aggressive. Right, because they're repressing those feelings and it gets stuck into their system. It stuck into their, their nervous system. And frustration has to move through the system. And frustration is going to come out either as sadness about what they can't have or about aggression because of what they can't have. Either way, that frustration is going to move. But the softer alternative is to have tears about it because then it drains the sadness. And it's in the comfort of a parent or a caring adult that the child experiences those feelings and comes out the other side better for it. Which is what resilience is. Mm-hmm. Being changed by that which we cannot change and being better for it. Yes. And I'm personally, I'm a huge proponent for um, learning as parents how to become comfortable with um and not just as parents, but as human beings, how to become become comfortable with crying, um, our own crying and the crying of others. It's a big piece of that emotional puzzle, um, building up our emotional resilience. And um, they call it uh, emotional intelligence. And I'm, I'm not super fond of the term. I like to use the term emotional maturity, um, emotional understanding. Uh, when we are allowed to fully process our emotions, um, those adaptations that you were talking about, um, our brain in that time is, is allowed to fully understand what each of those feeling receptors is trying to tell us. And so in these times when we feel distressed and um, emotional distress and it's manifesting itself in the way of tears, we're actually um, building our own or the child in this case, if the child is the one doing the crying, they're building their own emotional resilience and learning their own process for getting through an emotion and they have that awareness of understanding which emotions they're feeling, why they're feeling them and are able to learn through the process of just feeling the emotions, how they can process their emotions in um, healthy ways, opposed to having those emotions come out in aggressive ways, which generally often forms when we feel resistance to our emotions they tend to come out in more aggressive ways and when we feel that we're allowed to feel and express those emotions freely 
they can come out in healthier ways, such as tears or um, physical exercise, moving around or whatever the tools that we have that help in moments of distress. It's exactly that, Sujai. And, and to keep in the back of your mind that when we invite tears, we're not going to grow our children up to be crybabies because they're going to be able to process their big feelings. And as nature does its bit, and their brain begins to what we call integrate, they will learn to be able to have those big feelings, but not always to put the tears on the outside. As adults, we don't cry about everything, even though we'd very much like to a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, the, the time that we're living in now, we've got a lot to be sad about. If, if we had our tears on the outside, we'd all be crying all of the time. But instead, hmm. what maturity does for us is it, it enables us to have our big feelings of sadness, disappointment, lack, loss, limit, whatever it might be. And we experience it on the inside as a big feeling of disappointment. And you will know that feeling in yourself when the sadness or whatever it is sinks in. You experience that <sighs> feeling and it sinks in for you. And that's when you go to a place of emotional rest. Your brain gets that this is the way it is. And it's in that place of acceptance that you find renewed energy to pick yourself up and get moving and doing what it is that needs to, excuse me, that needs to be done. Yeah, for sure. You know, it took me years and years to kind of reclaim my relationship with my emotions, to reclaim being uh, comfortable with them and not feeling ashamed of feeling sad or fearful or angry or disappointed, um, all those kind of things. You know, I had this, I had this really strong idea that in order to be um, mature and a spiritual guy, that I had to be happy all the time and all those other emotions were a problem. And I was doing, I was like, I was king repression, honestly. I was doing so much repressing um, and and what we call bypassing of my uh, negative emotions because I was judging them because that's what had been implanted into my, you know, into my system from a, such an early age. And as I started to learn about this and started to open up more to my feelings um, and allow them more, it's, it's completely transformed my relationship with myself. I remember in 2000 and I guess seven, 17, 18, 18 now, 2018 when my my mom and my sister both went through, and myself, we all went through this like sudden rash of all this health stuff. My mom had a heart attack, and then she had a stroke, and my sister had this like last-minute life-saving surgery, and then all this this really hard um, recovery from it, and then she had a stroke, and then I got this intense concussion. It was just like everything all at once. <laughs> and uh, and when the two of them were sick, I um, was the main caretaker for them. So I actually moved in with them. Uh, my family kind of. Uh, had to lovingly bear the brunt of missing me but it, like with great support and I moved in with them and I was taking care of them because they couldn't take care of themselves and there was like this whole really deep thing and then I was in the hospital and one, one, I was, there was one day when my mom had her heart attack I took her into the hospital and it was the same day my sister was being discharged and I went in I took my mom and I went up to the next floor and I got my sister and I took her home so there's all this happening and I was so full of emotions that actually I I was very grateful for the work I've been doing to accept my emotions because I couldn't hold them all in. And I actually was, found myself crying in public quite, quite often. And for a, for in general, we don't cry in public. And, you know, for me, raised male, 
uh, it was there's so much shame people would look at me funny but by that time I, I had realized that letting those emotions through my body and letting them come out in my tears and letting myself hold myself in that and finding that 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 place of emotional rest that you talked about I, I haven't heard it put that way before and I really I can really resonate with it then I would like find my whole body would 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 feel this like relaxation and this integration happen and I'd be able to take a deep breath and I'd be able to go on you know and then because I my life was all giving support and and everyone leaning on me and so if I held all that stuff in I would have fallen apart and I and I was fortunate that I didn't um but it took, like I said, it took decades of work for me to, to reclaim that and, and, and relearn those things. And my kid, exact opposite experience, from the day she was born, every time she would cry, I would say, I love your tears, I welcome your tears, and I'm here for you, something like that, right? And, uh, and I just always wanted her to know. And we actually interviewed my, my daughter again a few episodes ago. We interviewed her um, because we wanted to interview a child who's now a young adult who's always been raised in this, in this mindset. And what her experience was like, and it was so like fulfilling for me to hear some of her thoughts around this. And one of the things she said was, you know, I. One of the questions that that we posed to her was something like, "Did you, when you were growing up and you had friends, did you notice a difference between how you your relationship with yourself and the way they were?" And she said one of the things was that I always I was always taught to really feel my emotions, not to repress them, not to judge them to let them have their their way and to also look where are they coming from what do they mean what's the message in them what can i learn from them and she said now i do that it's just kind of how i am i let my feel myself have my feelings i feel them completely and i let myself learn from them at the same time and she said i feel like that gives me so much more um, self-awareness and the ability to self-reflect and learn through life and uh, so i was very gratified to hear that that um, was her yeah, one of her takeaways. <laughs> and Vivek, if I could just say what a gift you have given her. You know, to to have a parent from your very early years being not only willing but able to welcome tears, that stands her in such good stead because she can make room inside herself for her own feelings, but then also mm. for the feelings of others around her. Right, very much so. Yeah, it's, I think that's probably one of our biggest gifts as parents is that we're able to invite what is inside of our children to exist in our presence. Mm. We're able to invite what's inside of our children to exist in our presence rather than having to rather hide Rather than having to be some different way in order to be invited to be with us. Mm. But that starts with an awareness of the value of tears. You know, yeah. I'm, I must admit, I am, I, I do have a bit of a reputation around the town of being the lady who says, let your children cry. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and um, that can sound terrible when you first hear it, but it's very much the message of tears are good. Mm -hmm. And if they are being shared with you, it is a compliment to the relationship you have with the person having those tears. You know, I would add to that, that um, that relationship forms really from allowing our children to have their tears and accepting their emotions. And I would also add to it that another part of that is not only allowing them to have their feelings and their emotions and holding space for it. One thing that we get really caught up in as parents is the tones that our children use when they're upset 
and allowing them to be upset without monitoring their tone so much is a really important part of allowing them to be themselves in front of you. What do you mean by tone, Sujai? Um, when our children become upset, they'll ask for things in less than super polite ways. Sometimes they, you know, they won't be saying please and thank you, or they'll be crying it out, or maybe they'll yell it at you. <laughs> and not getting too caught up in that and allowing that to stop the flow of what's happening and accepting it as part of their developmentally appropriate personal expression for their age and what they're going through in the moment. Yes, to try and to add to that, I think a lot of the time that we, we want to kind of, we're tempted to shut down tears is when it's coming from a place of having a child who's very whiny. You know, the the feeling that we get inside of ourselves when children whine, it's like they don't move to tears, but they've got that whiny voice and that really grates on our nerves. When we're hearing whining, what that is, is actually a precursor to tears that need to flow. But it needs an invitation from us to be okay with the tears to come out and then they're able to release it. Children who get stuck in whining, what they really need to do is to have an opportunity to have a really good try, cry because that will drain everything inside of them that needs to move and that will lead to a place of adaption. Right, which is different than um, trying to shut, rather than trying to shut down the, the whining and consider it disrespect, um, we can see it as a natural process of moving towards a big release. Yes. And uh, we can even embrace it rather than... Uh, I think it also, you know, it also um, it feels like a, an inconvenience or an imposition on us and really being able to care for our own feelings and turn inwards and give ourselves... You know, because those feelings that we feel are, are valid too. I, you know, it's not like we're wrong for having frustrated feelings when our children uh, might whine or complain or something. What matters, I think, to us is, to me, is that I take uh, responsibility for those feelings. I give myself compassion for what I'm feeling. I say to myself, yeah, Vivek, this is hard in this moment, and, and I'm holding you, um, and your feelings are natural, so that I don't dump them on her, mm -hmm. right? And then, uh, and then I can be, I'm holding, so I'm like, simultaneously, I'm holding space for myself, I'm holding space for my young self too inside, and then I'm holding space for her. And if I can do, it takes some practice to do that, but if I can do that, then it creates the space where, like you said, all our, all our emotions and all of ourselves are, um, are available for us to exist with each other. Yes, and as adults, we need our tears. Mm. You know, maybe not on the mm. outside, but certainly on the inside. You know, allowing ourselves that time to feel the sadness about all the things that aren't working for us. Um, yeah. Because when we do that, we have a natural shift to being able to dust ourselves off and get back up and then show up for our children. So when we find ourselves becoming very frustrated with a child who's having their tears, it's an indication that we need to take a look at ourselves too. And as you say, it's not from a place of blame. It's not wrong. It just is. And it starts with an awareness. 
recognizing it in ourselves when we're very frustrated people what we're actually needing is a is a good cry wonderful so um so we talked about you know like again thinking about parents uh in this time of stress uh, and challenge throughout the world talking about being able to hold space for our kids tears and their difficult emotions is really important I want to read the next chapter that I have uh, highlighted here because the next chapter kind of goes in the other direction or in a different direction, which I think is really also important um, for us in being able to connect with our kids and really feel um, in tune with them, you know. Uh, so this one is chapter 24, and it's, I don't only want to play, I need to play. I feel that way too a lot of the time. So uh, let me read, let me read the, the, the excerpt that I have here. What some parents don't always realize is young children learn best through play. When a child gets to play, they naturally learn because they are having fun. It doesn't occur to a child that learning is a desirable outcome of their enjoyment, and that's a very good thing. They simply play for the sake of playing. By playing through their fears, young children process their feelings rather than avoiding them. In this way, play not only provides a safe space for young children to experience the unthinkable, it also gives parents a window into their children's inner world. And I love this so much. You know, I, I think um, a lot of the time play can feel challenging to adults. And yet when we can allow ourselves to get into that mindset of play, uh, oh, it can help so much in connecting with our kids, you know. Um, yeah, it's 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 so profound. How is how uh, I remember I remember a, f a few years ago I was at a home visit with a family, and there was this young boy like seven who was being bullied at school, and he had these three these three bullies that were like knocking him down and saying mean things to him, and he would explode and like fight them back, and then it was usually him that got in trouble because that's unfortunately how it often goes, and uh, and then the, the even when the bullies did get in trouble, of course trouble never solves anything and so then they end up just doing it more and this, the cycle was just escalating and and so what I did when I was there with him is I, I got out a bunch of his favorite action figures and we started to recreate the scene with the action figures and first what we did was we recreated it and I asked him to just show me what what happened and he showed me that these three guys they were punching him and punching him and then he punched them back and uh and then, um, and then what we did was we explored all sorts of different ways that the interaction could go. So we explored ways that were, uh, I said, what are different ways that you could respond? And then we started responding in different ways. But because it was with the dolls and because it was with the play, we were able to explore all sorts of different things, different ways we could talk to them. Um, I let him get some of the uh, aggression out by beating up the dolls with each other. And we had this like big big fight with the Hulk and Batman and the Spider-Man and they were all smashing each other and so then that got a lot of the uh, kind of aggressive aggression out and then all of a sudden he was coming up with these really really insightful things to say to them you know like um uh, like you know we could be friends if we were treating each other differently and I didn't mean to do that and and this is really hard. He was like coming up with, I don't remember, it was like a few years ago, but he was coming up with empathy and he was coming up with connection ideas and it was like really beautiful to watch this. And I didn't feed him those lines. It was wonderful to watch it because he was really processing through the experience of playing with these action figures and it was so 
um, I just felt so uh, nourished myself by the experience and watching him have these insights and watching them have, uh, watching his mind open up and his heart softened to the whole experience. It was really um, beautiful. So this chapter really, I don't want, I don't only want to play, I need to play. It really um, touched me. It really is one of a child's most basic needs. Um, one of the things that really stands out for me is something that Gordon Neufeld often says is that play is nature's therapy. And that's something for us to really think about. Um, when children are invited into that space of being able to just be and to play and to discover and explore and express, there's a movement inside of them which which brings them to that place of rest that we mentioned earlier. Um, mm. To also remind ourselves in these times where we are at home with our children, we've got a lot more extra time to allow them to play. Um, right. I've heard from a lot of parents who are very concerned about being left behind with the school curriculum and not having their formal learning taking place. And my message yeah. to them is, in a lot of ways, that's an enormous gift because <laughs> children learn best through play. Knowing that a child's brain is actually wiring up to one day do work is something mm. we need to always keep in mind. The young child's brain, as it currently is, is wired for play. They live in the now. Right. And they are right. in that space of being able to explore and discover and they figure out things that we couldn't hope to teach them in a formal setting. But we need to back off and let them do it. And to release the guilt that we're experiencing that then somewhere they're missing out, not being at school. You know, I think children in, in, in many, many ways are going to be better for the experience because, I mean, it's a whole different conversation, but when we send them away to school, that in itself is a stress for children, which sucks out a bit of what we call the emergent energy because they're not with us and they miss us. But when they're at home with us for this extended period of time, they're actually where they need to be in order to learn their best. Mm -hmm. hmm. mm. Yes, a different conversation completely, but I agree with you. Um, It's a very interesting and um, deep talk topic. I would love to get into you with at on at a different time for sure. <laughs> we should do. We'll never be done. <laughs> and and I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, so I already homeschool and we're home a lot, but the world has really slowed down um there's hardly any cars going by it's very quiet there's not a lot of people walking by there's no dogs barking yesterday a small group of kids came out to decide to play for about five minutes and you could hear their ball bouncing down the street each time it hit the pavement because it was that quiet outside right um i noticed that even my children they could feel the world decompressing because right now where I'm at in Northern California, the world is truly sitting still. 
and you could feel it in their energy in their calmness um they get to certain points in the day where they kind of bounce off of the walls and somehow that really didn't happen yesterday they came outside and they played in the sprinkler for a little while and then they went back inside and there was a lot of relaxation to be felt and i recognized something in that moment that's really fundamental about children is we as adults were going 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 and um we believe and maybe we're right for our specific living situations that everything that we're doing it's so important and we need to go do this and we have to do this and this needs to happen now and it's very in contrast to a child's internal clock that would like to eat and play which is a very healthy environment for a child to learn and grow is an environment where they are able to sit still and follow their internal clock and eat and play and grow in a safe space where they can um you know take all of this in feeling safe and secure and um it's in fact the most ideal thing for particularly a small child is an opportunity to truly stop everything you've just said Shajai, really resonates with me and i think although we are talking about our children we have to keep in mind that it's very true for us as adults too in these times what we really need to be doing is slowing down and we've been given the gift of more time um, adults need to play too in order to feel better um, and playing doesn't necessarily look like we might imagine it as an adult playing could be drawing singing dancing gardening whatever that is that we can invite what's inside of ourselves out it, it's going to help us to process what's happening and to find rest in circumstances that are much bigger than we've ever imagined before Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true, eh? Adult play is important. Um, you know, I recently posted up a um, post a video on, on YouTube. I don't know. I, I mean, on uh, Facebook. I don't know if you saw it, Bridget, but it says how ninjas self-isolate. And it's a it's a like 20 second video of me and my daughter um, cutting a car, a big cardboard box to shreds with uh, with swords because I have a bunch of so I have a bunch of ninja swords from the martial arts. <laughs> And we cut this thing to shreds, and it was just really, really a uh, beautiful, fun thing. And, you know, my house, I mean, again, my daughter's 23. My house is covered with paper airplanes because we're always making airplanes and having contests and, and trying to see how we can build different kinds of airplanes. And we have toys and fun. Uh, it's always been one of my top priorities as a parent. I was always, And even now at 23, we still live that way. We're always looking for an opportunity to play. And, you know, as well as, I think as well as um, it being important for kids' development and for our adult mental health, it's also super deep in the relational process, building a deep relationship with our kids, you know. Because when they know that, one of my sayings is when we're willing to enter our children's universe, they're more willing to enter ours. And when they know reliably that we, um, that we are, we're there with them in, in how they perceive the world and in how they're... Uh, interacting with the world and play being one of those f uh, fundamental things 
um, they feel so much more relaxed in our presence, so much more themselves in our presence rather than having to hide parts of themselves or, like you said before, sh uh, change parts of themselves to be acceptable. And I think play is one of those things that really brings us uh, together, play and joy. And um, as much as holding space for our painful emotions, um, being really connected in those joyous emotions um, has a profound effect, I think. And play naturally leads to connection. Like when you're having mm. a good time or a laugh or a giggle or you're doing something together, that fuels that feeling of closeness. And when yeah. we experience that, we want to do more of it, Absolutely. which is just so wonderful. Yes, actually, and, and I, I'm really glad you brought that up, Bridget, is that us adults, we need to play too. Um, recently, I was visiting my brother and they have this rope swing coming off of a redwood tree. And um, it's it's rather dangerous. So the kids aren't allowed to go there alone. And they asked me if I could accompany them. And I thought, oh, geez, okay. <laughs> Humdrum. And I get up there. And this was amazing. It was the most fun I've had in probably like 10 years of my life. And I can't the the, the feelings of connection and joy and happiness and exhilaration and it was like pumping through my veins in this way that was so amazing and it stayed with me for um days after that that feeling of connectedness and goodness that I felt around um just leaning into the joy of the moment and truly enjoying that from the perspective of a child even and completely letting go to the moment That certainly feeds into the, the an, another discussion, Sujai, of when we're feeling more connected to those who are there to take care of us, we're naturally wanting to follow their lead. Mm -hmm. Parenting becomes a whole lot easier when you have a child who's kind of humming along on the same level as you are in terms of their connection, of um, feeling close to you. Oh, we don't yes. run into the same obstacles that we do when we're in a place of disconnect. And parents will often say, but play is just a waste of time, or I don't have time for that, when really it is the answer to so many of the other things we're struggling with. Yes. Um, Bridget, how can, how can parents who struggle with play um, open up to it more inside themselves? Some parents do share with me that they find playing with their child rather tedious and boring because they're not interested in the same things. And to that I say, I understand that. Not everybody is cut out for lying on the, the carpet and building Lego or doing whatever it is that their child is interested in in that moment. But there are things that you can do that maybe aren't games in the traditional sense Play might be cooking together or baking something together. Finding the sort of things that you enjoy too and inviting your child to join in with you can be that bridge between not wanting to do something and finding ways to connect with them. Um, also to know that we don't need to be playing with our children all of the time. A lot of parents think it requires them to participate it depends on the age of your child. In the beginning, when they're much younger, they do enjoy that social interaction of, you know, having a chance to be 
the mummy or the daddy and they treat you like the baby, that sort of play, um, yeah. which they, they really enjoy. But parents can tire of that. But once a child is filled up with connection and closeness, they naturally move to want to go off and play on their own. which can be a surprise to parents. They think if I start playing with them, this is never going to end. But it doesn't go that way. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, kids, because we're helping kids, um, I think, develop uh, uh, their own relationship with their with their play. Yes. Um... Another thing to think about is that when we're in the vicinity of a child who is playing, you know, in a creative, imaginative kind of way, it's actually a window into their world that we get to have a little look at what are the things that they're facing, what are they struggling with, mm. what's going on for them, mm. because it's going to show up in their play. Right. Right. That can be so helpful. We get those glimpses of information. And it can give us something to uh, to tune into and to work with and to help support them with support them in either by helping them working through something that might be difficult or helping them find more of what's uh, enriching and nourishing for them. Um, yeah, so play. So that's interesting because like then it's not just playing; it's playing and being aware as you, as you're playing, listening and tuning in and taking in the information. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. Yes, and, and, and to remember when, when we discover things that they're struggling with, we don't need to fix them. Just their ability to play through whatever it is that they're dealing with gives them an experience of what it would feel like, but it's in the context of it not being for real. So I'd like to move on to the, the next um, excerpt. And this one, it relates because you just talked about one of the ways we can play is like baking with our kids or getting them to help us with things and doing things fun together and things that also are part of our, you know, what, what we value as well or what we enjoy as well. And I think one of the things that kids really um, connect with is when, uh, is when they feel uh, like they're helping us with something. And your chapter number 25 is when I help you, I feel important. And I, re I also like uh, I also like how a lot of what you write comes from the child's voice. I like that when I help you, I feel important. And it helps us to like resonate with what the kid is feeling in that moment. So the excerpt is, accept ahead of time that their initial enthusiasm will not readily translate into them sticking around until the job is done. By understanding their efforts are unlikely to result in a perfect job done, will avoid tainting the interaction with our disappointment or our frustration because they didn't finish the job to our satisfaction. By inviting them to help us out, we'll be nurturing the connection we share in even the most ordinary moments. And ordin ordinary moments are so, uh, they're so powerful, um, so profound. You know, one of my, one of my favorite acronyms um, that I just can't stop talking about is SMABO, which, stand, which is S-M-A-B-O. And, uh, and it stands for small moments affect big ones. Mm. And, and it's, when I do workshops, I always get the whole audience to yell out, SMABO! <laughs> <laughs> and people have written, made SMABO signs to put up around their house. Because those little moments, you know, those little moments of helping, those little moments of togetherness, those little moments of cooperation, 
um, they build layers. They build relational layers and they build patterns in the mind. And it's, it just can be um, so powerful. And I really appreciate that this idea is uh, this ex- expressed so explicitly in your book, especially the idea, especially the idea of, um, of having patience with their process and their capacity and where they're at with how much they can help. And just tuning into the connection behind the experience. That seems so valuable. Vivek, it's very much that those ordinary moments really are invitations for us to have more connection. And being at home with our children now, we are going to have plenty of them. And when we look at these uh, these moments as opportunities to invite them into our presence, we're doing the work of connection so naturally. Um, When we're able to include them in the things that we need to get done, we give them that sense of they are valued and they are appreciated. And especially for younger children who might not feel that they're contributing in any way, just being given small tasks of being able to help us out really gives them a sense of belonging. Um, As parents, we can get a little bit sucked into thinking we can do it much quicker and better ourselves. But when we're including our children, what we're really doing is saying to them, you know, I, I appreciate your help. And you know our, our time together is special, even when we're doing the most basic things. So for us to be able to put our agenda aside and sort of foregoing the idea of speed and quality, we're, we're inviting them in to do what they want to do, which is to be with us, even when it's so-called boring tasks. Absolutely. And um I can actually attest to that even in older children as my um, older two children and uh, my oldest is an adult <laughs> and my um, middle child is 15 and very much if I'm in the kitchen just cooking and cleaning and doing the things or I'm, you know, vacuuming the living room, they're there with me and they love to be with me and I'm doing things and we just flow together and that's even you know when my older son he lives independently from me as he's an adult and um he comes over to visit and i'm doing things and he stands with me and he's talking to me and i'll be doing dishes so he stands next to me and starts loading them onto the dish to the um you know rinsing them and setting them there to dry because we're just together and we're flowing and we're being part of each other's world. And he's come over to visit me and he's telling me what he's doing and we're helping each other do the dishes because we flow in that relationship together. Yeah, that's beautiful. That says it just the way it is. It's those, those ordinary moments of what might be considered to be, you know, dull tasks or have to's. When we're doing it together, it can become more of a want to, which is Mm -hmm. a lovely shift. (laughs) Yes. It's just kind of the flow of things. Um, It's very much that way with my older children. My younger children aren't, my younger children aren't quite there with cleaning yet. They do help me out from time to time, but they're, they prefer to be wrapped up in a world of play. (laughs) And that's where they need to be most of the time. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And it is a beautiful experience when we can combine the energy of play and the helping thing together um, and make things a game, you know. And then it also cha- it also shifts the energy behind what normally we call chores. Um, thinking of them as chores and thinking of them as 
I have expectations of my child that they help out around the house, that rarely ever goes well. You know, that's something that will diminish connection over time, uh, having an expectation, because an expectation is held with an authoritative power structure. But creating something where everybody feels like they're together and that there's joy around it and there's connection around it, all of a sudden the idea of caring for the house and caring for the environment and caring for each other becomes something that is nourishing and uplifting rather than a drag that we kind of have to push ourselves through. And parents often say that, oh, but we have to teach them that they have to do things that they don't want to do in life. And maybe there's some truth to that. Um, I still think that the reason that we do things that we don't want to do is not just for no reason. It's because we care. We're doing it because we care about the results. So maybe I do a job that I don't want to do because I care about the person I'm doing it for and I know it's going to help them. And even if it's an inconvenience to me, I'll do it anyways. Not because I'm forced to, but because, you know, I, I care about the relationship and I care about the situation. And that care comes from connection, comes from togetherness. And certainly being, uh, playing and being together creates that, you know. Well, we're experiencing a few technical difficulties, so I want to apologize if the end of this sounds a little bit choppy, but um, I want to thank you very much for being here today, Bridget. It has been so wonderful um, hearing your perspective and really looking forward to reading the rest of your book. It's got great insight and super helpful for parents. Well, thank you, Sajai and Vivek, for inviting me. It's been a real treat for me to finally speak to you. We've communicated on Facebook and Messenger and a few different places, but to get to speak to you has been a real pleasure, and I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yes, it has been such a treat for me as well. For our listeners, um, if anybody is interested in um, following you on social media, or going out and getting your book or any of that. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and where they can purchase your book? Yes, so my book's going to be available as of May the 4th, and it's going to be available online, um, pretty much anywhere books are sold. Amazon is the main place you'll find it, but there are lots of others. And then if you visit me on Facebook, you'll find me at Look With Love Bridget or at Parenting With Intention, and then... People are always welcome to visit me on my website, which is bridgetmiller.com. Awesome. And we'll, we will provide those links in the show notes for you as well. And thank you so much for being here. Um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> thank you. And I wish the same for you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Sujai. Thank you. Yeah, it's been really wonderful recording with you. And Bridget, it's been so great to record with you as well. Um, I just really admire this book that you've written. And uh, I hope everybody goes out and gets it because it'll change their lives and change their families. Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, we're here every week, of course, almost every week. And um, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at Gentle Parents Unite. We have a public page as well as a Facebook group. Our Facebook group has over 50,000 members. It's one of the biggest, probably the biggest group of its kind on Facebook. We also have our Patreon, which is where we do the, our most personal coaching and hold all sorts of really powerful, supportive events for parents every week. Um, I do like a, I give like a, an hour-long talk on gentle parenting principles every week, plus I do a meditation every week and a group coaching call every week, and Sujai does 
um, a couple of group coaching calls every week where you can ask questions and you receive like really helpful insight and uh, ideas and strategies you can try to shift things and change the way you're working with things and, um, and you get help from the community and there's a lot of support there's also videos and um, all sorts of yeah it's really it's a really rich space and everybody who's in there is having profound experiences with their families and profound growth so we really encourage you to join so if you go to patreon.com and then type in Gentle Parents Unite. You can find us there. And when we start only at $4 a month, it's really quite inexpensive because we want to make it as accessible to everyone as possible. And also my own videos and writing. Um, I have over 500 articles I've written and over 50 videos on YouTube. So if you go to Facebook, you can find me at Meaningful Ideas. And on YouTube, also Meaningful Ideas. And my blog is MeaningfulIdeas.com. Blog under construction, but... You know, there's about 400 articles there, and I've written over 100 articles on Facebook. So there's a lot of really amazing, powerful information that you can get there, including my videos. And I encourage you to re to kind of to go back and listen to previous episodes if you haven't. There's um, close to 25 episodes, I think, and all of them are full of really helpful information because we really want to help parents deepen their relationship with their kids and have more harmonious home life. And especially in this day and age when we're all isolated, it's so important to tune in deeply and pay attention and uh, once again i just want to thank bridget for being on our show it was just amazing hearing her insights and uh, yeah i encourage you to go out and get her book and that's it thank you very much everyone <laughs>